Welcome to the Daily Grind Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Colin Morgan. Listen, are you tired of not living a fulfilling life? Do you believe you deserve more? Do you want more? Is it finally your time? If yes, then stick around. I welcome you to the Daily Grind. Today's episode is brought to you by Wix. Now, there's a lot of products and services that I bring you on the here on the Daily Grind to hopefully help you live a better life. But for me, Wix is something that I have actually used. If you go to dailygrindpodcast.com right now, you can check out the newly designed website that I built from scratch using Wix. This was the first site I ever created by myself because in the past, I've had to pay someone else to build it for me. I've had to go through that back and forth of asking for something different just to end up at the end really unsatisfied and having to put up with what I had. Using Wix allowed me to design and customize the site exactly how I wanted it. And if you're super creative, you can design it from scratch. Or if you're like me, you can start with one of the amazing templates, which gives you a really solid base to build off of. And then from there, everything is automatically optimized whether it's desktop or mobile. Honestly, it's just super simple to use, easy, and anything you don't know, there's support and videos there to help you. To make this even better, they have built-in SEO, so you don't need to be an SEO expert, or you don't have to hire someone and pay someone either in order for your business to get recognized online. Now, of course, I'm not just gonna rave about this amazing product and not share it with you, so if you or someone you know wants to create an amazing website, all you have to do is go to wix.com forward slash podcast to get started today for 10% off. Again, that is wix.com forward slash podcast. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today on The Daily Grind, we sit down with Mr. Greg Smith. Greg is the founder and CEO of Thinkific an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create, market, and sell online courses and membership sites. Greg was working as a corporate lawyer for one of the largest law firms in the country when he launched an online course as a side project. Greg was able to share his passion and expertise with thousands around the world, and revenues from his course soon surpassed his salary as a lawyer. 
Greg and his team at Thinkific power the courses for over 40,000 people and businesses that have taught millions of students and sold over $200 million in courses. Thinkific allows you to create or grow a business around your passion, knowledge, and skills. Everyone, you are not going to want to miss today's episode. Greg is a true expert, and I'm sure for a lot of you, you have been interested in online courses. You've been interested in starting something for yourself. This is a great way to take that little leap into entrepreneurship. Be sure, as always, you have a pen, piece of paper, sit back, and really dive deep in today's episode with Mr. Greg Smith. Enjoy. Well, Greg Smith, welcome to The Daily Grind. Thanks, Colin. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, Greg. And uh, if you wouldn't mind for some listeners being first introduced to you and, and what you do today, Greg, if you wouldn't mind just speaking on those two subjects and, and letting the people know a little bit more about Greg. Sure. Happy to. So I'm a father of two. I got a four-year-old and almost two-year-old. And I run a software company, employs a little over 100 people now. Uh, we are called Thinkific, and we make it easy for people to build, launch, uh, sell, their own online courses where it's important for you to have your own course around your brand. So we we work with a lot of people uh, who have some area of expertise or passion or knowledge or skill that they want to create and share as part of on, an online course or a membership site. And I've been doing that for coming up on eight years now. Wow. And before that, I well, I had my own online course. That's kind of how I got started all, in all this. And before that, I was a securities and capital markets lawyer or a corporate lawyer, basically. Okay, so how did you go from being a corporate lawyer into creating online courses yourself? I was practicing for, well, actually, if we go rewind a little bit further, I okay. was going to law school, yep. and I started tutoring and teaching people on the LSAT, which is the law school admissions exam when I yep. was in law school. And I could only get five or six or eight people, if I was lucky, into a classroom on a weekend. And they were paying, you know, four or five hundred bucks or more a pop. So it made it worth it as a student to help pay off my student loans to be teaching that on the weekends. But I found when I was tutoring and even when I was teaching in the classroom, it was a lot of the same conversation over and over again. So I put together a blog to share with people to say, look, start here and then I can dig in on the stuff you still don't get. And that led to an online course. The online course uh, did quite well, but I really struggled putting it together. It took quite a while to put it together because there really wasn't any software out there to make it easy. And so the technical aspect of putting a course together and selling it online was quite difficult. And I really wanted to have it on my site under my brand. Yeah. And so that was the early genesis of creating Thinkific. Because once I got my course up and running, uh, it was it was running for quite a while. It, I mean, it's still running now, 15 years later. Uh, but I went on to practice law, was working as a corporate lawyer for one of the biggest law firms in Canada. But I started getting not only a lot of success from my online course, but I also started seeing people calling me saying, how are you doing what you're doing? I want to create my own online course or my own online gotcha. membership site. And so we actually built Thinkific for them. So that's really that transition between uh, getting my first course up and running and then helping other people do the same thing. Very cool. Were you passionate about law? Oh, yeah. I still love it. I, yeah. I loved practicing. I I mean, the challenge of it, the work, the people I got to work with, the clients. I mean, doing securities law, too, I got to parachute into a business at the most exciting moments. Like we were I'd come in and work with the board of directors and the CEO and management to help buy a company or take it public That's or cool. sell a piece of the business or sell the company. So really exciting stuff. And I loved it. But 
I guess I just always had the entrepreneurial bug and really wanted to, to explore that. Do you like looking back, is there instances of you kind of growing up or at a certain age where you, you started to get that bug or do you feel like you kind of always innately had sort of entrepreneurship on your mind? When I was about uh, maybe 11 or 12, somewhere around there, uh, me and my best friend made this hill in the woods near our house where we would build tracks down it to race marbles and we'd build jumps and tunnels and all sorts of really cool like loops and everything. And we'd invite all the neighborhood kids out to kind of race marbles down the track and then we'd get a bunch of uh, candy from Costco and sell that on the side of the hill. And so I think even at, at 12, I was, I was trying to build businesses and I had a whole bunch of moderate successes and failures from that point forward. But, uh, I think it was always something that I was interested in. Gotcha. And then you picking law, like just out of curiosity, was that something that, you know, you were passionate about where were you pushed into that and then sort of found that passion for it? What led you to, to law school and becoming a lawyer? I was always passionate about business, so I did a commerce degree. Then I got out, and I was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, traveled around a bit, did sales for a while, and I I think I just kind of fell into law. I ran into a lawyer who I really respected. They talked a bit about what they were doing, and I was inspired by her and her career, and so that led to, you know, and my career wasn't really going anywhere super fast, so I I just kind of said, well, why not? I'll write the LSAT and see if I can get in and, and give it a shot. So it was pretty accidental, the move into law, to be honest. Very cool. And then talk about, you know, you're a lawyer, all of a sudden you're doing this part time, it's on the side, you create this online course, which how long did the online course take you to create? I'm curious back 10, 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, well, 2005, 2006. Oh, so that was a long time ago. Okay. So how long did that take you? Well, there's, I built the blog and that took quite a while and I was writing on it. And then I started fumbling around with how I was going to create a course. And I, I don't know how many sort of failed attempts I had over a period of maybe three, four months. And then my brother, I was lucky enough, my brother's a software developer. He came along and he said, okay, I'll build the software and finish up the website. You just focus on getting the content done. I said, great. I want to put together like 180 hours of, of course, because that's what my competitors were doing. Gotcha. And he said, well, whatever you have done in 30 days, I'm going to launch. And you know, we had full-time jobs and full-time student careers and everything at the time. (laughs) And so he said, you got 30 days and then I'm launching it, whether it's finished or not. So fit what you can into that. So that kind of forced the deadline. Actually, that's a big piece of advice I give to anyone. If you're creating a business or a course or something is give yourself a short deadline and get your MVP out and you can learn from that. But, uh, it was, that was probably the, one of the best things was him setting that deadline and saying, you got 30 days and then we're launching and we're going to go with what we got and then we can improve it from there. Got you. So you started, obviously, because you were doing in-class lessons there and they were being successful. When you went online, did you see that same success right off the bat? Uh, I would say, you know, in some ways more so, uh, less financially initially. So I went from, say, five people on average charging 500 bucks, so 2,500 bucks in a weekend to teaching. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, I had to book the classroom. I had to bring textbooks. I had 100%. to take my whole weekend and it was stressful. It was like all Friday night, all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday teaching. And then some follow up after that to, in our first month, we sold 10 courses at $29. So 290 bucks in the first month. But 
other than the building of the course, once it launched, I didn't have to do anything for that. So it went full passive revenue. Now, I put a lot of work in after that part-time to kind of improve the course, add a lot of content, uh, add a lot to it and market it. But I mean, the the course is still running today, 15 years later. It does ten to $15,000 a month. Wow. And well, you know, sometimes as low as 5,000 in low season because the LSAT cyclical cyclical, yep. but say five to 15,000 in a month. And I literally spend less than 30 minutes a month on it. So it's now turned into full passive revenue, which is amazing. So when you go back to comparing it to say tutoring and teaching in the classroom, uh, this is obviously a lot better. And it's, it's it stood the test of test of time at 15 years running. Wow. That's amazing, man. So all of a sudden you create this course for yourself. You start to see this success. Um, you've been through building the course, which took so much time. You get, you were frustrated with that. You're starting to gain traction. What was the point where you started to come up with the idea for think Uh, really it was as people started reaching out to us saying, well, people started reaching out saying, Hey, I've got a, a course I want to teach online. Uh, or I've been doing something online and I, I want to, I like the way you've set it up. I want to do something like that. And initially we actually tried, this is the sort of try, try again, pivot, take a different Love approach it. thing yeah. of entrepreneurs is we initially tried, okay, we're going to own your content and we'll, or we'll license it from you and we'll pay you a licensing fee, much more like a textbook publisher where we'll pay you 7% or 10% of course sales and we'll own it. Okay. And I found, I mean, one that created way more work for us because we had to then go and do everything. Uh, but two, nobody really wanted to do that. They kind of just wanted what I have, which was my own business with my own software and so eventually what we realized is why don't we just build for them exactly what I have, which is here's your own website, your own software. You can do whatever you want with it, make it look how you want, put your own stuff in it, set your own prices and all the money is yours when you sell it. So that was really the eye opener of let's just give people what I wanted in the first place. And it was kind of my brother who actually came to me about a year or two in saying, let's just be Shopify for online courses where it's your site, your brand, your look and feel, you have total control and we'll just be this secret engine behind the scenes that's like you have your own software development team so you don't have to worry about the technology very cool man so what was the first step you, you are you and your brother still partners uh no funny enough so he's on my board of directors and okay. a very trusted advisor for this yeah. and obviously still my brother <laughs> <laughs> but about three years in he went and did a little weekend hackathon with some buddies and uh that turned into a quite a successful company as well called later. So later.com is his, his company and they do scheduling for social media. And so he's got a, I think they've got about 70, 80 people on the team and yeah. they're scaling like crazy now and, uh, and doing really well. Wow, man. Look at you. Two brothers, almost a hundred employees each. Um, that's awesome. Do you ever reflect yeah. back and like, how did we wow. get here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes definitely look back at everything. I think it's good to learn from what's gone well and what's, um, what's not, cause there's certainly been tons of failures along the way, but, uh, um, yeah, definitely do look back on it and see what we can learn from it and very much looking forward to the future now. No doubt. So walk us through the early days. I mean, there are a lot of people listening who are in something, whether nine to five, whether it's a job they love or whether it's a job that they hate and, and they're looking to do something for themselves, maybe they have that idea. You did this, like walk us through the early days, maybe share some pieces of advice for people who are in that stage. What would you maybe do differently or what really worked for you? 
Sure. Yeah. So a few things is one for me was um, I and I don't think a lot of people recommend this, but I do because it worked for me and I've seen it work for a lot of people is if you're in the full time employment where it's going well and maybe you have some, you know, whether it's rent or mortgage or other requirements, starting as a part time project on the side can be a great way to get something going. And for me, that was my course and I was able to get it up and running in 30 days. And then I saw revenue from it. And that eventually led to me being able to leave my career as a lawyer. So the part-time hobby side project is great, but treat it like a job, like give yourself a deadline, book it into your calendar, really work on it. Don't have it as a one day I'm going to do this and I'll spend an hour a month on it. Nothing's going to happen if you do it that way. It really means buckling down and recognizing that you're working two, two, two jobs at this point. But that allows you to create this side revenue before you maybe leap in or at least have some side validation. Now, if you're doing a typical VC-funded company, that probably won't work as well. But for stuff like a course or, or like a, a solopreneur kind of business to begin with, uh, that can be a great way to start. So that, that would be one thing. The other one. The other one that I mentioned is the deadline. So yeah. as entrepreneurs, and, and we're often perfectionists, and so... Given my way, I probably would have taken a year to launch what I thought was the perfect course only to find <laughs> out that people didn't think it was perfect. So yeah. having that 30-day deadline was huge. So I, I try and encourage people to have that. And then once you get going, I think it's recognizing that there, there's actually a great book. I think it's by Seth Godin called The Dip. And yep. I really experienced this exactly is you get started. It is this beautiful, exciting moment of everything's kind of going pretty well. The things that aren't, you can brush over and keep moving. You have this initial success born of excitement and, and a new project. And then eventually things turn and, and it's slow going and it's either a really slow slog or it actually goes downhill a bit and it's really hard and that can last a while. And you got to be prepared to push through that dip. And so the concept really is don't quit in the dip. Don't quit when things are when you're in that slog at sort of stage two, quit way before that. Quit, quit before you start the thing or quit when it's just early excitement and you realize it's not, you're not going to have the, yeah. the power to push through because it's in that dip that you push through it and then eventually things skyrocket and take off and wonderful things happen. But if you can't push through that, don't even bother starting in the first place. You have to recognize that that, that hard times are coming and you're going to have to be able to push through it. Do you feel like that's often a common mistake? I mean, even looking at stats, right? Like I think, I don't know, nine out of 10 businesses, they say fail within the first year. Do you think that's because they don't recognize that early enough? It's a combination, I think, of three things. One is not recognizing if your business is viable. Yeah. And so sometimes people do try and push for too long. And so having a good lens on if it's viable, if there's a path to something working well here financially and, and product market fit and, and otherwise, that's an important piece. Then having the stamina to push through the dip that will inevitably come is important. And I think that all combined with our um, shiny object attraction as entrepreneurs in that when those hard times hit, you're probably going to have five other ideas on your mind of other things you could start. But what you have so to recognize true. is each of those is going to have hard times too. So if you drop everything when you hit the hard times and go start the new shiny thing, you're always going to be starting and dropping and starting and dropping and you never get anywhere. So the best thing I did to deal with the shiny object ideas was we had a, a drawer. Well, it was a, it was actually a Google Drive folder. And anytime we had this wonderful, exciting idea, we'd just go 
write up a quick one pager or a couple of bullet points on it and file it away and say, great, if we ever want to build it, we can come back to it. It's off my brain. It lives there now. And I quite honestly never revisit it. It just is a dumping ground. But in my head, when I put something there, it's there if I ever need it. Mm -hmm. And that allows me to stay focused on one project. And I really would say as entrepreneurs, it is, it's not diversification. It's put all your eggs in one basket and put all your focus and attention and energy into that one basket. That's how you make things work. You really, other than the Elon Musks, you don't see people starting 15 different things at once. And even with him, he was all in on PayPal long before he was so true. a serial entrepreneur. So true. And it's almost like you have to perfect that craft or that business, whatever it is, before you move on to something else. I think people jump in too early. Because they, and I think a lot of it has to do with revenue. Would you not agree? Like they're sitting there, you're a young entrepreneur, you need revenue. You're like, well, if I did this on the side and I did this on the side, then I could bring in that 10,000 that I need. Yeah. And if, if, um, if you're not prepared to go through those hard times, that can be tough because you end up changing and pivoting too often. I mean, if you're, if you're pivoting because your business model does not work and it's not going to work that's fine. That's great. That's a good decision. If you're yeah. pivoting because you're getting a bit tired and it's a long road to get to success, then maybe rethink career options and, and go to full-time employment rather than entrepreneurship because you have to work through that. There's no, there's really any of the success stories you see out there deal with this period of uh, at least one, if not many periods of a real struggle that you have to work through. So with Thinkific, like if looking back how long did it take for, for you to get to a point where, and, and maybe you're still at that stage, but how long did it, was there ever a point where you kind of looked at yourself and was like, okay, we're starting to make huge progress here. I fought through that, you know, that little dip myself. And, and now I see, now I'm starting to see the, the benefits of this. Yeah. So I'd say, so we're, we're seven and three quarter years in now. Mm -hmm. Um, at about three and a half years in, there was a moment where we we fixed a few things in the product. We finally turned on the ability for people to pay us. Before that, we were just taking it over the phone. And we changed a little bit of our pricing. And I, I remember this moment sitting in the office. There were six of us on the team at the time. And I pulled up the, the charts and I saw this inflection point. And it was a tiny little inflection point in the graph, but I knew what it meant, which was things are finally working. It's not going to be, it's still going to be a struggle. There's still going to be failures and challenges and everything and tons to learn, but something's working here. And really what it was, was we'd achieved product market fit where you start to feel the pull of the market demanding your product and demanding more from your product. They're still not happy with what we're producing all the time, yeah. um, but they're demanding it and they're demanding more from you rather than not happy with what you have and going elsewhere. And, and I saw that inflection point in the revenue curve as an indicator of us having kind of passed this key milestone of product market fit. And I kind of, I fell to the ground and I have no idea why I did this, but <laughs> I started doing, um, like snow angels, Gosh, okay. uh, where you lie on the ground and like move your arms and legs. And I yeah, think yeah, it was yeah. sort of like a, a cathartic release of stress that had built up over three and a half years of worrying that we're going to go bankrupt any day now. Um, and, and since then, obviously there's been a ton of challenges and difficulties, but it's been all uphill since then. From that point on, we were doing 20 to 40% month over month revenue growth, which for, you know, on the math on that means you're roughly tripling your revenue That's every unreal. three months. Uh, so the, the exponential growth there was wild after that. So things got, the challenges became much different than will we live or die. 
do like looking back is there is there ever a point where you're like oh we did this you know whether it was with your marketing or whether it was the partnership or was it just like a culmination of those three and a half years hard work and then all of a sudden you just started to see that growth yeah i mean looking back we probably could have done it in six months if we if i had the knowledge i had now where we could have moved we could have gotten there a lot faster part of it was actually there's a lot of it that's luck timing of luck of being in the market at the right place at the right time i mean courses weren't quite ready to go when we got into the space. We were a little ahead of the times, but that meant we were positioned well when uh, courses really took off. And things like Udemy and Masterclass and Coursera and so many of these other things out there really started to drive the market of public acceptance of both teaching and learning online in a much bigger way. And so we were nicely positioned at just the right time. So there was a lot of luck of being in the right place at the right time. But we'd also spent a lot of time being prepared and getting there. So I'd, I'd say, you know, in terms of things you can do to get yourself there, it's, it's doing the work and pushing through that dip so that when those opportunities come along, you're prepared and you're there and you're well positioned for it. A big piece, a thing we did really, really well was we listened to our customers. So we really understood what they wanted. Um, but we also didn't just build everything people wanted. We listened a lot, and then that's sort of 50% of the input into the business and the service and the product we were creating, and the other 50% was our own passion as course creators knowing what we wanted, and so applying that to it. So I kind of, I call it the uh, the Eric Ries lean startup approach and yep. the Steve Jobs approach. And you know, Steve Jobs was sort of the visionary of, you don't really know what you want. The consumer doesn't know what they want. I'm going to build you the iPhone, which is something you've never even imagined. And the Eric Ries lean startup approach is really talk to your customers and figure out what they want and test things on them. And I think if you combine those two approaches, you can you can add a little bit of visionary to a bunch of learning from customers and, and really use that to find product market fit. I mean, so with Thinkific, I mean, maybe there's people here who've heard of Udemy but haven't heard of Thinkific. Maybe they've heard of both. Maybe they haven't heard of any of them. What separates Thinkific from competitors or, say, from Udemy? Yeah, well, Udemy is a specific one in that they're one website, one brand, one business that you put your content into it, and it's a great place. It's a marketplace to take courses. But if you're a course creator, like our clients are, and you want to share your skill or knowledge and you put it in there, you're putting it into a marketplace. So you're you're kind of giving up control of your business and your content and yeah. your pricing and your customers and your data to them. Whereas with Thinkific, it's your site. So Udemy operates basically one website with all the courses on it. Thinkific operates about 40,000 websites. Each one is our customer's brand and look and feel and data. So if if you and when I and that was really came from me and that when I got started, I knew I wanted to build something that could grow and be sustainable and generate revenue on an ongoing basis, but also help lots of people. But I wanted control over it. I wanted it to be my brand, my website, my data, my revenue, my customers. So that's what we gave people with Thinkific. And that's what set us apart from the start. I love that. So based on your knowledge, I mean, you've been doing this a really long time. You've probably seen thousands and thousands of people run online courses you've seen people succeed fail what separates someone because someone may have a really great course but they can't sell it or they have just kind of shit material let's be honest and it, and it just doesn't work but for people who have the mm -hmm. good content um what separates the great courses from everyone else I'd say, well, great courses are great course creators. For the great, the people who are successful, what separates them is, is, um, I'd say, three things. In the early days, 
being okay with not being perfect and putting something out there that you're not totally proud of and yeah. learning from it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing in the early days, just getting something out there. Uh, another one is persistence and that goes with any businesses. You're going to have to push through it. Um, I think really, you know, to quote Calvin Coolidge, nothing can take the place of persistence. Uh, and the other is really a, a growth mindset. And so there's a couple of great books on that one by Todd Herman called the alter ego effect where he talks about that and really gives you a lot of tools to get into an amazing mindset. And the other is uh, mindset by Carol Dweck, uh, Dweck and, uh, having that growth mindset of my potential is unknown and unknowable is, uh, or as Todd calls it, the wow mindset as opposed yep. to the owl mindset. Those are just amazing tools for entrepreneurs, uh, really for anyone, honestly, like the alter ego effect, I'd recommend that to anyone, even, you know, whatever role position or employment you're in. It's, it's amazing. Even as a father, it's been an amazing tool for me, but I'd say those three things, persistence, that sort of growth or wow mindset, and then, uh, that ability to set a short term deliverable goal and be okay with not delivering something perfect to get started. Yeah. So true. So Here's what I wanted to ask you. So you had mentioned that your brother early on gave you the deadline and you think that other people should be doing that. Do you think that you yourself, if you said that deadline yourself with no one else knowing about it, do you think you would have followed through with that? Or do you think that <laughs> having that accountability is what made you follow through with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, if I'm being honest with myself, I would not have... <laughs> honored that 30 day launch I if I didn't have my brother there to say I'm pulling the trigger on it. It, uh, and, and I know that cause I've, I've missed deadlines before and I've missed deadlines since. So the accountability is huge. And, uh, it's, I think it's also one of the struggles in that dip phase or that early phase is you're either no team or a small team. And yeah. so you really have to hold yourself accountable and that's challenging. So I think finding ways to, build a community around you of other people doing similar things or, or different things, just entrepreneurs. I was at a conference last week of entrepreneurs that range in everything from building refrigerators to other software founders. Um, having that community around you. And, and this is something I left till way too late in the game. I didn't value it enough, but yep. getting out to events and conferences and connecting with other entrepreneurs and then using it to build a small group, kind of an accountability group really yeah. where you, maybe let them know what your goals are and, and build that around it, I think can be absolutely huge. Um, at, uh, because y y it's a great question. I think most of us without some level of accountability outside ourselves are unlikely to deliver on a short term goal like that, that when there's a lot of pressure behind it. Yeah. And, and that's why I think having that so important, I, I use the reference. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Have you ever seen the movie semi pro with Will Ferrell? Uh, no, what's, no, I don't think okay, I have. Okay, so, I mean, the basis of the movie is Will Ferrell. He is the owner, GM, promoter, announcer, and starting power forward for his team. Okay, so he does it all. And I use that reference for entrepreneurship, how when you're starting out early on, you have to wear all those hats. And yep. having those people, just like you said, having accountability partners make it so easy because you need to create that structure. And if you look at any great team, whether it's a professional team or whether it's a business, like they have that structure in place. It allows the people to come in and succeed because the structure exists. So you need to create that for yourself early on, which is difficult because like you said, you're the only one. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, you're 
you're definitely right there. I'm really curious how you're the announcer and the power forward, though. Oh, you got to watch the movie then. <laughs> and I always encourage them. Like, it's a great movie, especially for entrepreneurship now. Like, I thought it was funny before I did it. Now, when I watch it, I love it. So there, there's a movie for you, everyone. It's, it's, a, it's a laugh, and, and you'll understand what I'm talking about here. Um, <laughs> Greg, for people who wanted to, to reach out, connect with you, learn more about what you're doing, check out Thinkific. They want to create a course. Where's the best place they can go? Uh, well, thinkific.com, T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C.com, thinkific.com is probably the easiest way. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, it's just greg.smith at thinkific.com. Um, but, uh, and always happy to help people with their courses or plans for courses. Great. And Greg uh, is happy and willing to give away 15 minutes of his time, everyone. So as always, just got to be part of the Inner Circle group. Connect with us on Instagram. We look forward to it. And uh, thank you, Greg, for, for giving your time away. It's, it's always amazing when entrepreneurs like you are able to do that. Thanks, Colin. I really appreciate it. You got it, Greg. And now the way we end the show here on The Daily Grind is we're going to give you the floor and you have the opportunity today to share with our audience a thought of the day. So one thing or one thought we can all go home with today. Yeah, the uh, the the thing that's the well, if I can, I, I really want to. This is me uh, wanting to share too, but uh, I'd you say the, the concept, <laughs> the concepts around the alter ego effect and that wow mindset are are huge. That's I'm finding more and more applicability both in my life as a husband, a father, but also as an entrepreneur and as an employer and a coach. Uh, it's just amazing. So trying to apply that in a lot of areas and. If I could sum it up, it kind of comes down to this idea that your your potential is unknown and unknowable. Your traits like intelligence or ability in a particular area are not fixed based on some genetics or something. There might be a range, but you don't know what that range is. And so if you take that approach of if you work hard at it, you really don't know where you can get to. It's such that the science behind thinking like that is is pretty amazing in terms of what it can do for you or do for your kids or do for your team. So, so that's a big one for me. And then the other one is uh, this book called The Family Board Meeting uh, by, I think, Jim Shields. And uh, he's 18 summers on Instagram and worth checking out. But uh, I've got, uh, I'm, you, you'll have to sort of check it out or follow him to, to figure out the kind of story behind it. But the gist of it is spending some one-on-one -on -one time with your kids with a very structured approach that's absolutely amazing. And I'm heading off to do another one with my daughter in 10 days. We got a calendar counting down to amazing. it and we're going to see Cirque du Soleil. So, uh, but the, the science behind that and the outcome of it is pretty cool too. Amazing. Well, Greg, it has been a pleasure here and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and coming on the show here with us today. Thanks, Colin. I appreciate it. You got it, everyone. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Also, share this out with a friend. Leave a comment. We want to hear your thoughts. We'll be back tomorrow with another amazing episode. Until then, Colin Morgan signing off. And always remember to keep on grinding. Lower the lights down. Hand over my crown. Hand over my heart. I do this for my town. I do this for my crowd. So turn me up real loud. My time, yeah. my time. Yeah. None of you yeah. people can tell me to stop.